Lob it up to Rudy, put it down. Mitchell three. Yes! The rookie comes alive! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Hashtag Jazz. My name is Jason Walker, and I am joined by... Trey Sanders. The, the robotic Trey Sanders, as always. <laughs> uh, and right now, it is a very good time to be a fan of the Utah Jazz. Things have been just on a continuous, positive, upward trend for really the last two months. Like, there's not really been anything to complain about. We've got win streaks, great defense, Donovan Mitchell's doing well, Dante Exum's back. Like, we're checking off all the boxes to make me a happy Jazz fan. Hey, we're in the playoffs, too. So, like, there's just... I mean, there's nothing else that really seems to compare in in past seasons to right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's been it's been just one great thing after another. I wish we could have got the win against Houston, but it's also Houston. So, yeah, there's only so much that you can ask for, and in the end, like this is we all know how the story ends. It's basically going to end with the Utah Jazz losing in the playoffs. Barring some miracle, absolute stunning miracle, that the Jazz managed to win a handful of playoff series against either the Rockets or the Warriors, and then whoever comes out of the East at this point. But still, I mean, we were all pretty happy last year, and we all knew how that ride was going to end before it happened. Um, but we, we were excited. We won 50-plus games, and this year we might not win 50 games. I don't think we will. That would actually be remarkable if we did. But true. Well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, you know, I myself and a lot of people didn't think that the Jazz were even getting to get to forty this year, and here we are. Yeah, that that is that is the crazy thing. And I mean, uh, two or three months ago, whenever the Jazz were like nineteen and thirty something or twenty uh, something, because we're forty and thirty now. Yeah, nineteen like twenty eight, I think. You know, nine games below 500 and not looking anything like a playoff team. Then suddenly here we are. We jumped up to 10th, hung there for like two weeks trying to catch up to the other teams. The other teams have since faltered, and we are now in fifth and possibly looking to head up in, you know, even higher. And it's just absolutely crazy what the Jazz have been able to do. And. There's so many different factors. We're going to talk about them a little bit today. We're going to be talking a lot about Donovan Mitchell, Quinn Snyder, and Rudy Gobert. But there's, it's, I don't know. You begin to lose words eventually just for how crazy this has been. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of moments in these games where I'm just like left speechless because when, especially when the, when they're playing defense, to a T, I mean, that team is scary to watch on defense because they just frustrate teams. They close off everything. They contest everything. You got Rudy Gobert, who, when so many players see him in the lane, they just they do nothing but back off because they're like, yeah, no, that's uh, that's not a that's not a battle I'm gonna win. It's basically just that. Nope, 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 nope. They they get out of the lanes. Like, I'm not dealing with that. I mean. The only player I've seen brave enough to challenge Rudy Gobert on a consistent basis is Russell Westbrook, and he tends to lose. So, this is yeah. his his defensive presence is crazy, and I forgot what I was going to say. Um, 
I was going to say something. Oh, this is this is actually what I was thinking. The the Kings game. Where we won against the Kings. That was a game where defense didn't seem to work. And I didn't actually get to watch the game. But listening to people talk about it is the Kings were hitting tons of shots. They shot 14 of 21 from three-point range. So obviously I was able to check the box score afterward. And the Jazz shot 25% from three. And I went back and I used a basketball reference and pretty helpful tools. The Jazz have only won, including the game against the Kings, They've only won nine games in franchise history where the opponent has shot 65% or better and the Jazz has shot 25% or worse from three-point range, those percentages from three. So that's just the ninth wow. time in history. And this, this team's been going on for a little over 50 years, I think, somewhere between 50 and 60. Because I think we had the 50-year anniversary a couple years ago. Yeah, that's that's insane. But, I mean... The crazy thing is, is you can't say that the Jazz weren't playing defense. I know you didn't say that, but the Jazz were playing really good defensively. But Sacramento, I mean, their 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 confidence was sky high after beating uh, Golden State the night before. Um, and yeah, I mean, there were plenty of moments where we had plenty of hands and shooters' faces, but they were just knocking them down. Like Buddy Heald, he was unstoppable. Everything he put up, it went in. Yeah, and the craziest thing is I mentioned the percentages, and like you said, like everything they're putting up went in. Held them to 97 points. 97 yeah. points on a night where they are hot as the sun from basically everywhere. And Yeah, it's... <laughs> and, and part of that is probably due to pace. But again, when a team is hot, they tend to score a lot. When the Jazz get hot, they score over 100 points. You know, that's just the way it goes. When other teams get hot against the Jazz, apparently it doesn't equate to actually producing tons of points. It produces them, I guess, getting close, but not quite. Yeah. The, it's like the, a false hope. Yeah, in the last 23 games, so the Jazz have won like 21 of 23, I want to say. The Jazz have allowed, I think, four opponents to shoot 100 points. Or to, to shoot 100 points. To get 100 points or more. Four. I mean, I don't know what the league average is for points per game, but it's well over 100 points. And, right. and the Jazz are averaging teams somewhere in the mid-90s. Right. I mean, they're, yeah, allowing 94.5 points per 100 possessions. Um, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's not even it's not even a close race either between first and second place and defensive rating since the trade deadline. Yeah, one thing I saw, and I, uh, you may have seen this too, was uh, Andy Larson, I think it was, tweeted out saying that the gap between 1 and 2 is about the same as the gap between 2 and 19 in that uh, in that metric you were talking about, the per 100 possession defense. So, like, it, it, it's an enormous gap. It's yeah, that's that's ridiculous. It just makes you think, like, if, if, if this team didn't have the injury curse that it usually goes through and Rudy being out. I mean, we could potentially be sitting pretty in the two or three spot in the in uh, the playoff race right now. Yeah, and that actually reminds me of something. There was an article that I saw that's kind of making its way around Jazz Nation right now because it was an article that was such a horrible take on the Jazz season that it was just, I don't even know what to say. Where um, is it from? I don't even know. I'm I'm trying to look it up right now to see everything. Um, let's see. I know I replied to the 
this tweet if I can find it. And and we are talking about a professional writer, right? Like not looks some... looks like a professional writer. Like it's, like his Twitter thing says Washington Post advisory panel or something like that. It looks like he's at least paid to write in some capacity. Hell, probably just not about sports. They probably ran out of people. It must be because <laughs> this man must have never watched the Utah Jazz because he went and I I won't read the article in front of everybody of course but uh he wrote it it was published like yesterday and it's before the sacramento game is um the timeline here and it's basically saying that the jazz regressed this season like you know unless they win like the rest of their games they've obviously regressed and that they should just blow everything up start over don't even try you know it, it's not worth it because they've regressed and they were wrong in trying to actually win this year and it's so ridiculous just how when was this posted march 17th on this site called the inquisitor i don't know if this is like satirical i'm hoping that this man is just completely joking that this is a joke website or like <laughs> that's what i'm hoping because i've never really heard of this website i've never really heard of this writer so i i don't know but based on a lot of the reactions, it seems like it was taken seriously, and it was meant to be taken seriously. And one of the things that the, the people mentioned, I didn't actually think of it when I was reading the article, but yeah, that, that was that thing you mentioned where Rudy Gobert was out for some odd amount of games, I forget, like 31 or something to that effect. And the Jazz are still in the exact same spot. They finished fifth in the West last year. They are there now, having gone through almost worse injury trouble than they did last year in terms of injuries to their key players. And they seem to be, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I, I haven't compared last year's team and this year's team. Maybe that's something we can do in the next, you know, we can talk about that next week in the next couple of weeks, compare, you know, maybe which team is better this year or last year. But this team hasn't regressed and it's on the up and up. Last year's team was like, it felt like it was beginning to hit its peak because he had Gordon Hayward, who's beginning to kind of level off. I don't really think he's going to put up stats that were going to truly exceed the ones he set last year in terms of points per game, rebounds, and assists and all that. That's about where his peak is. Uh, obviously a good player, but it, that felt like that Jazz team, that was about the highest it was going to get. This team feels like it has a ceiling that is much higher. And so to say that this team has regressed maybe you i mean by record technically that will be true we're going to finish below 51 games but there's no way you can say this season has regressed because i feel better right now about the season that i did at the same time last year <clears throat> yeah well i mean to say that a team has regressed after winning 11 straight games and then splitting or going uh, one and two following the all-star game and then winning another ninth straight. Like, are you serious? There's no, that is not regression. That is a team that has every intention of winning every game they play. I mean, the game against Sacramento last night, Sacramento came out firing and that was a good test for the jazz to see where they truly are as a team. Um, you know, given Sacramento is nowhere like they're nowhere near making the playoffs, but 
it's that testament to this, this is the NBA. There's plenty of talent throughout the league, and Sacramento was coming off of a high. I thought they were going to be super tired coming into that game because they only had so long. I mean, that was a long game the night before. Probably only got a couple hours uh, of sleep before they had to go to practice in the morning and then get ready for the game. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, sure, the Jazz maybe have regressed a little bit on the offensive side, but then you couple that – like. Then I then I'll point you to uh, the game against Phoenix or not Phoenix Detroit, where there was that first quarter explosion of 42 points. Obviously, it we cooled off in a big way, but we built enough of a cushion that it was just enough for us to keep putting in the baskets we needed to and keep playing defense. I mean, I don't care who you are, if you're gonna write a story like that, you should put a little bit of truth to it. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, it was. I was gonna say filled with a lack of context, but there's just no context. Like he he cherry picked a few numbers and he used a few misleading stats in terms of, like I think when he's talking about defensive stats, he just used the raw points per game, which is probably the worst metric you can use to measure defense, because there are so many different factors that'll talk about, you know, points allowed per game and points scored per game. Yeah, uh, because when you look at the more advanced metrics, you can obviously tell the Jazz defense has improved. I think, like you said, the offense definitely has decreased a little bit, even with this this recent stretch of games. We're not exactly offensively over uh, overachieving, but you know it, it's that defense that we're really getting at. Um, but I want to move on because we do need to get into a few more things. One thing we did want to talk about is Ricky Rubio, um, and I've. Really grew to love Ricky Rubio, uh, his play on the court. You know, love everything he does off the court. Although apparently not everybody seems to like Ricky Rubio. Apparently nobody does, unless they're on the Jazz. Because <laughs> yeah, that that Phoenix game was just a bunch of bull crap. Yeah, that was bush league. Like, because the thing is, and I said this, I in a post on SLC Dunk, I was talking, saying, you know, Jared Dudley seemed like he was perturbed about, one, he thought that Marquise Chris got fouled, and I've watched that play probably a, a couple dozen times. I've watched it a bit on loop, and there's no foul. Rudy Gobert just pulled the chair out from under Marquise Chris, and he airballed a dunk. Cause <laughs> yeah. he, was, he, was, he was expecting <laughs> contact, and if there was contact, I don't know how he would have gotten to the rim, because he was not headed there anyway. Right. And so, Gobert... Does that. Um, a bit of a sneaky move. And then I thought, well, Ricky Rubio at one angle kind of looked like he might have stepped over him. He didn't. He maybe hopped over his foot on his way to get the ball. Yeah, like his feet, for sure. It was just like, okay, well, here's an opportunity to push the ball. The ref even gives him the ball to inbound because it's like, okay, well, go ahead, guys. And the ball went out of bounds, so the referee is supposed to get the ball. Just with the rules and whatnot. And then he goes, and then Jared Dudley's like, Okay, I'm gonna deck Ricky Rubio, and and then Marquise Chris does his thing, which is even worse than what Dudley did, because at least Ricky Rubio was kind of looking at Dudley, or at least knew he was there. Right? Yeah, I'm gonna blindside this guy. Like, yeah, and, it's and, just stupid. And the the biggest thing that bugged me again with Jared Dudley's, he sent a tweet out, which was actually, you know, fairly professional looking. He he explained himself and. You know, and wasn't just ranting all over the place, but he said that Rubio flopped. 
And I hate it when people said this about when Ricky Rubio got body checked by Jeff Teague. There's certain just like Ricky Rubio was running full speed when Jeff Teague body checked him. And he still took about five steps before he fell down. Mm-hmm. And then with Jared Dudley, Dudley is generously listed at 225 pounds. I'm sure he has well exceeded that weight. He's three <laughs> inches taller, so he's, he's just a much bigger man in general. Give him a complete shove. Rubio didn't fall to the ground. He stayed on his feet and kind of injured his knee in doing so. And... So he didn't just flop on the ground like James Harden would and act like he had his leg chopped off. He stayed on the he stayed on his feet and then went to confront Dudley and only fell to the ground when the 6'11", 240-pound Marquise Chris blindsided him. And Rubio's like a buck 95 is what he's listed at. Mm. So uh, that's that's my rant about Jared Dudley. You have anything you want to say? Um I mean, Jared Dudley's he's been around the league long enough to know that he did something stupid. He even put that in his Twitter post that, okay, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have shoved him, but I thought I thought he got fouled, so I wanted to stop the fast break. It's like, yeah, that's fine, dude, but you still have to show intent to go for the ball, not like that. And then the Marquis Chris, and like you're you're a damn child, and you just showed the rest of the league that you are still a damn child. <laughs> So now people like veterans are just going to shove it in your face every time they play against you, which is kind of ironic that they got in some scuffle uh, last night with Golden State. Um, but, I mean, I even heard Dennis Lindsay. He was being interviewed by 1280 The Zone, and he's just like, you know, I understand that, you know, frustrations flare up. They, they flare up for everybody, but that's that's just a move that's uncalled for from both of them. Yeah, and that's one thing I, mean, I said is is that I'm fine if you're a little perturbed. Maybe he just had a different angle on it. I'm cool with people getting upset. I get ticked off of the rest during games. That doesn't mean I go body check somebody. I just right, kind of cool off. Especially like you're adding insult to injury because you yourself missed that dunk. So you roll over on the ground like you're in pain, and then you get up and try to act tough. Like and you blindside a player that doesn't make you look tough. That makes you look like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. And it's just Marquise Chris has now become a joke because first off, I've already started making fun of him. I call him the great Marquise Chris, the man who misses every dunk, you know, the, the leader in missed dunks in the NBA. He's, he led the league in missed dunks one year. I don't know if he does every year, but it's just, oh, it's upsetting when you see guys like that just can't control themselves. And, right. And it's even more annoying when the player's not any good. It's annoying enough when the player is good and they can't control themselves. Right, yeah. Uh, I mean, it is what it is. And they they rightfully were fined $25,000 each. Um I feel like Chris should have got a suspension that with the twenty five thousand because that was like the Dudley thing. That was just you know that was kind of him doing his thing. But the the Chris shot was just that was the cheapest shot of all of it. Just like who do you think you are coming out from the alleyway, coming and blindsiding someone like that? Like that's just stupid. When it was a technical one, like come on, that was a two. 
I think Dudley's was a technical one. Yeah, it's just a couple of cheap shots, and we'll just try and make sure we move past them. But if Rubio had been seriously injured, I was about to blow my top over that. Right. When I heard he was injured, I was like, oh, mother effer Mormon cuss words flying out of my mouth fast as I can. I was not happy, and I'm glad that he wasn't doesn't appear that he's seriously hurt because he ended up playing and did all right against Sacramento as far as I can tell. Yeah. So. Well, what kills me too is that Joe Ingles and Donovan Mitchell got technical technical calls in that scuffle, which to me doesn't make any sense because if anybody – like if this was anybody, it doesn't matter what team it is, if someone's player is getting shoved around, you're going to go to have a little chat with that, with that son of a bitch. Like what are you doing that for? You Are you retarded? You know, like – Maybe they said something a little way overboard, but still, like, Joe Ingles was the first one down the court. He, like, threw off an assistant coach from Phoenix and gets all up in Chris's face. And then Donovan gets in a part of it. It's like, what do you expect them to do? Not do you just expect them to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, he got shoved. What the hell? They're lucky they didn't have a bench-clearing brawl on their hands with taking not just one cheap shot. That'll get people off the bench. They had two cheap shots. Right, in the space right. of 10 seconds. Right. Yeah. But anyway, we're going to try and move on because we do really want to talk about, or at least I want to talk about uh, three different uh, jazz figures who, in my opinion, should be getting some hardware this at the end of this year. I don't know if any of them will, but we're going to hope. And that is Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and Quinn Snyder. Um, you can probably guess which awards they should get. Um Rudy, the defensive player, Donovan, the rookie of the year, and then Quinn Snyder, coach of the year. No MVP? No, no MVP. Uh, <laughs> Joe Ingles, MVP. <laughs> right. Call, calling it out there. <laughs> or uh, Dante Exum. I love. I, I got way too excited when Dante Exum, I saw he was going in, in the uh, the Phoenix game, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just I was way too excited for a guy who played all of like ten minutes that game. I was way too excited. But, yeah, well, and then you got another scare when he went up and got away with a charge, came down on his shoulder. I I was just like, oh well, he's injured again, and then he got right back up. I'm like, okay, maybe not. <laughs> whenever he goes to ground or he jumps up in the air, it's like, yep, he's gonna get injured. Oh no, he's he's okay. I guess he's okay. <laughs> he landed funny, but he's getting back up. We're good. So it just yeah. feels like he, he just and I feels like he was like, crash. "Oh, I learned how to fall." I'm like, "How did you learn how to fall when you were rehabbing a shoulder?" Please tell me, explain that to me. <laughs> that had to have been the later uh, stages of that recovery. Yeah, but learning to fall is definitely uh, a bit of an art, and I, I'm not very good at it. I'm sort of good at it, but not quite. But it doesn't matter where I land, wherever it is, it's cushioned by fat, so it's not like I'm gonna hurt myself. Um, but don't get too comfortable with that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens. But with with Donovan Mitchell, there's actually three different things that I'm looking at with Donovan Mitchell. Cause obviously, well, obviously with Rookie of the Year, that's a different thing. But there's three different <laughs> stats that I'm looking at. That if he can surpass these, like I don't know why he wouldn't be Rookie of the Year. Because, for one, he's pretty close to averaging 20 points per game. And this is something I went and looked up again. Basketball reference. Great uh, 
great resources, and I'm not being paid to say that because uh, it, it probably sounds like it. But <laughs> if if he plays all the remaining, I think it's 12 games at this point. I wrote I don't know if I wrote this down a couple of days ago, but if he plays in the remaining games, he'll have played 79 games because he just missed the two games. If he plays those and averages 20 points per game, which he's really close to doing, then he'll join 31 other players in history to score 20 points a game and play at least 79 games. 17 of those players are Hall of Famers. Four of them are active players. Blake Griffin, Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, Kevin Durant. And the other 10 had pretty dang solid careers. Like, going through, a lot of them made multiple All-Star games. They were all, every single one of them made the All-Rookie team. And I think Donovan Mitchell will as well. There's nobody he's going to go in over him in the All-Rookie team. Right. But, I mean, you look at these 31 players, there's no busts in there, really. Like, the player you could say is the biggest bust, and I can't remember specific names, but there would be a guy who averaged 19 or so points for five years and then dropped off. Like, they all had pretty good careers. And so that kind of thing, just with his scoring, he's joining a pretty good class of players. And then he's also on pace right now to barely eclipse the rookie three-point record, which is currently held by Damian Lillard. Um, he's on pace to get about 187. The record's 185. And then he's also within reach of getting the uh, the steals record for a Jazz rookie. So hmm. those are the kind of three stats that he could technically get all of them, or theoretically get all of them. But honestly, with everything that Donovan Mitchell's doing, like, like what what do you think the odds are that he ends up with Rookie of the Year? Uh, as a jazz fan and, and a lover of Donovan Mitchell and just this team in general, um, the ups and the downs of this season, the growth that he's put in, um, the numbers he's putting up, the athletic ability that he possesses. And I know it's cliche at this point and plenty of other people have said it, that you know Ben Simmons is not a true rookie. Bottom line is, he is a rookie because he didn't play last year, which sucks. Because usually, you know, you judge the rookie class off of the people, the guys that were drafted the summer prior to the season beginning. But I really feel like as as great a case as Donovan has for rookie of the year, if Ben Simmons wasn't in that race, he would bar none be the award winner but you've got ben simmons who on paper looks like a far more complete player obviously he can't shoot the three like donovan mitchell in fact i i don't even know what his stats are uh, stats are off the top of my head but he doesn't shoot the three he's made he knows that he doesn't shoot three so he's not going to shoot the three but I mean, Ben Simmons puts up ridiculous numbers, both in points scored, rebounds, assists, and he's a good defender. Um, I hate to, I hate to say those things, but it's it, honestly, if if Donovan Mitchell wins Rookie of the Year, it'll kind of be a, it'll be a surprise. Yeah, and and that's my same thing. And the, the thing is, is that I believe Ben Simmons will win it, just because when you look at the raw stats, that's just what it is. Uh, there's going to be writers who haven't watched Donovan Mitchell play, 
And granted, I've not really watched Ben Simmons play, so I can't make a fully informed decision on this. I've watched maybe a game or two of his. I've happened to sit sit down in the living room when there's a Philadelphia game on. Mm. Not sure why anybody in this apartment is watching a Philadelphia game, but it happens sometimes. Right. But if if you really break it down, then Donovan Mitchell is definitely level with Ben Simmons, maybe a nose ahead, maybe. But people don't look that deeply into it. Like when you look at the assist numbers, Ben Simmons averages about twice as many assists as Donovan Mitchell, but Ben Simmons also throws about twice as many passes as Donovan Mitchell. And if you look at the assist rates, if Donovan Mitchell was throwing as many passes as Ben Simmons, he'd be right right about there. He'd be behind, but he'd be right there with Simmons in terms of assists per game. And mm-hmm. Ben Simmons is seven inches taller than Donovan Mitchell. Of course, he's grabbing more rebounds. Right. Yeah, well, and it, I mean, not to say Donovan Mitchell isn't, you know, a key cog in what's going on in Utah, but I mean, Ben Simmons, there's a pretty good there's a pretty good core around him like Joel Embiid. I mean, obviously, you know, he's one of the better centers in the NBA. Um he's a cocky son of a bitch, but um, I mean, it's just a testament to, you know, kind of the patience paying off for the 76ers. But at the same time, I mean, the counter argument is, is look at what, look at what kind of pressure is on Donovan Mitchell's shoulders. I mean, it's not like it's that pressure has been put on him or Quinn Snyder has put that pressure on him because going into the season, Rodney Hood was supposed to be the guy that was going to take over the points um, responsibility that Gordon Hayward had. And when he left, it was like, okay, well, it's on Rodney. But then it turned out that Donovan Mitchell is actually way better than anybody realized he was going to be. Um, so, I, I, man, I don't know. Yeah, Like you said, there's not enough people that are really going to look far too deep into what Donovan Mitchell means to this team, whereas they see the things that Ben Simmons is doing on paper. Of course they're going to vote for him. Well, he gets – x amount more than donovan mitchell does but i mean without donovan mitchell i don't think that the storm would be uh weathered the way it you know it was if it wasn't for him while uh gobert was out uh, there's no question because honestly the the month or so that Don- that uh rudy gobert was out that was basically the best month of donovan mitchell's um well of his career technically at this point because he was mm-hmm. averaging some, I think, just under 24 points. He was, And he was very efficient. He's actually less efficient right now than he was in December, and he had more pressure on him then. Right. And so it's kind of crazy how that is. Now he seems to have less pressure, and he's actually shooting worse. But, I mean, like you said, the Ben Simmons is like the second-leading scorer, but he's got uh, several – good scores around him. Donovan Mitchell is the leading scorer on this team by about five or six points and hasn't had a guy averaging more than 15 points a game outside of Rodney Hood. And we've talked about how inconsistent Rodney Hood has been. So like just, just like we've already said several times now, it's, it's going to probably end up in the hands of Ben Simmons because he puts up the stats that people care about. He puts up the all-round stats and say, well, he's an all-round player. And they say, well, he gets points, he gets assists, and he gets rebounds, and he gets more of them. Therefore, he is empirically a better player. But if you really look into it, 
that's not the case. Because was Russell Westbrook a better player than LeBron James last year? No. Is he a better player than Steph Curry? I'd say no. I don't know about anybody else, but I would say no. Mm. Yeah, and, it was solely based on the fact that he got as many triple-doubles as he did. Yeah, and that's the thing is that people fall in love with that all-around, that triple-double thing, and so they say, well, Ben Simmons had a six triple-doubles, averages like 16, 7, and 7, or I don't know exactly what he's averaging right now, but it's somewhere around there. So he's probably going to end up getting it just because of that all-around, even though his impact probably isn't quite as great as Donovan Mitchell's, or they probably are about the same. Because we are talking about two really good rookies who have two very high ceilings. So while oh yeah, and so well, I think a lot of jazz fans and myself would argue that Mitchell is at least deserving and probably should win it, just based off the way you can usually predict the media and what they're thinking. Ben Simmons will probably get it. So. Yeah, and it, it as a, like I said, as a jazz fan, it sucks to say that. It sucks to acknowledge that. But I think if if anything. It'd be nice if if we could split that uh, rookie of the year trophy. Yeah, that would be the best resolution is just to have a co rookie of the year, but that would require a split vote. I think it'd have to be exact on both sides, which is I don't know how many people vote, but it's probably in the triple digits. So right, and that hasn't happened in a while. I can't remember who it was. Was it Jason Kidd and someone else that split rookie of the year? It might be. I can't remember. I I did see it once upon a time. Yeah, I I don't remember. Yeah. But I mean, regardless, I mean, the 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 impact that that um, Donovan has had on this team has been almost instantaneous to some extent, and no Jazz fan out there is not gonna is not gonna argue against him not being Rookie of the Year because in our hearts he is the Rookie of the Year, but. Unfortunately, that doesn't translate to the people that vote for that stupid award. I mean, stupid award. It's it's a cool award. We want Donovan to get it. He he just won't. We'll call it, <laughs> we'll call it a stupid award when Donovan doesn't get it. It's a yeah. stupid award. We didn't want it anyway. <laughs> but uh, the, the second piece of hardware that the Jazz are going to be looking for, and in my opinion, the most likely, is the Defensive Player of the Year trophy. And anybody with a brain knows that Rudy Gobert is the best defensive player in the league right now. If they want to argue something different, then I'm not going to be shy about this. They're an idiot. Because <laughs> there's no question that Gobert is having the biggest defensive impact. And you can make a pretty fair argument that Rudy Gobert is the best center in the NBA right now. And you want to say, well, he's not a scorer. Well, this not a scorer is averaging 20 points a game over the last so many games. You know, the man who can only dunk it and catch lobs is scoring on all these fools. And he's having an even bigger defensive impact. He's having the same defensive impact, like in terms of points saved or defensive rating. It's equivalent to the offensive greatness, you might say, of other centers like Carl Anthony Towns or whoever else in the Joel Embiid and whatnot. So I guess that's my short rant. I'll try and keep that short. But basically if somebody else wins defensive player of the year, I will, I will be not only shocked, but genuinely upset over that. 
Yeah, and it's another one of those things where they're gonna see they're gonna see things on paper, and they're gonna see that Rudy didn't play this long as say I, I, what I, I don't even know who's up for defensive player of the year right now. Um, so the, the know, names that I've seen are like Joel Embiid, Al Horford, and. Draymond Green's probably in there just by default. But the, I think the two main ones you're seeing, Joel Embiid and uh, Al Horford. Yeah, see, uh, I've got to steal this from you. If anyone's got a brain, you look at that and it's like, no, that's that's not true. Joel Embiid, he's a great defender, but he is, I mean, you listen to coaches talk about Rudy Gobert and Tom Thibodeau even before the the – uh, game in which Teague threw uh, Ricky to the floor, he said Rudy Rudy Gobert is a defense amongst himself. I mean, he's the he is the the terror inside that you don't want to see. You don't want him down there. And when he's down there, he's either uh, he's either making players regret their decision by blocking them, altering the shot, or just straight forcing them out of the paint to reset on offense all over again. Rudy Gobert impacts every single aspect of defense because if he's in the paint, you're not getting there. And if you do, you just got lucky. Yeah, that's the thing. When I watch Rudy Gobert and somebody makes a shot over him, it usually goes through my mind, dang, that was a good shot. Like it right. Was, like they had perfect body control, absolutely perfect touch, hit the exact right spot on the glass for the ball to go in because – that's just the way it is. You know, he's not getting tons of blocks. Um, you look at guys in the past with you know great defensive players that average three plus blocks a game, but with the way the that offensive offenses work today, they aren't just gonna hit their head against a brick wall that is Rudy Gobert and let him block their shots all day. I think a lot of that impact that he has just isn't seen on paper. And the only way when you see this on paper is you know, there's this graph again. I, I get all my stuff from Twitter, basically. Um, that you know, Rudy Gobert of the three, uh, Gobert, Embiid, and Horford. Gobert has the best defensive real plus minus, the best defensive rating, the best defensive win shares per 48 minutes, and the best defensive box box plus minus. Which two of those sound really similar. But like. You have to watch to understand. That's why Defensive Player of the Year is such a tricky, tricky award. Because everybody can look at MVP and say, well, James Harden's averaging 30 points and 10 assists or whatever. You can look at that and say, yeah, points and assists and triple-doubles and 40-point games and 50-point games and all these things. With Defensive Player of the Year, it's like, hey, he got a lot of blocks. And, yeah the coaches and writers say that he's a good defensive player. So he's there, I guess. And that's just kind of the way it is. Right. I, yeah. Unless you watch and right. And kind I, of, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> well, as you say, I think it's um, to go with this. I mean, I think the common theme is, is we can't, you can't, you can't judge these awards based off of statistical evidence. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's the things that we, like, as statisticians or these these sites like uh, Basketball Reference that keep track of these, like, super in-depth things, I think the analytics is going to start becoming a bigger deal because you can't you, – they don't really have a way of tracking how Gobert 
alter shots or how people are backing out of the paint or any of the decisions that the offense is trying to make are all centered around him. And there's no way of really keeping track of that. So it's it's got to be this thing where they look a little bit deeper into it. Yeah, because really, I mean, we look at these advanced metrics, like you said, they don't measure how many times a player like, you know, say Damian Lillard goes into the paint and just says, nope, I'm leaving because Gobert's there. All we can see right. is that, you know, the defense seems to do better when Gobert is on the floor, so that's all we know. And you do have to watch. Okay, so you you yeah. can't just base it off these stats because with offense, there's so much that you can track. It's kind of like in football. There's so much that you can track on offense and football, but defense you can never track. The only the only uh, sport where defensive stats I feel you can track really well is baseball, where you can really track defensive stats. But in a, you know, in the NBA, it can be really hard without going super in depth into some super uh, specific stats that you need fancy equipment for. So it's it's kind of the same thing with Donovan Mitchell. Like, you know, if, if Rudy Gobert doesn't win it, it's going to be won probably because they don't think he played enough games. Because I think if he plays the remaining games, he'll play like 56. But it'll also just be because, you know, I guess people just don't watch Rudy Gobert for whatever reason. Maybe they're watching Al Horford. Or Yeah, you know. but that's that big market, small market thing. I was going to say, though, I really believe that um, going back to Donovan Mitchell for a little bit, I really feel like him and his astronomical rise to stardom this season has really put the radar back on Utah. Um, And and the last time we ever had the radar on us was when we went to the finals two years in a row against Michael Jordan. Um, And I say that because I actually, like, every so often when I have – when I feel like I have time, I should say. So when I go on the 2K and you never see, you never see people buying jerseys of the Jazz. You don't. You either see the Lakers or you see the Knicks. You see the Bulls. You know your big, well-known franchises, but you never see Jazz jerseys. I have seen a huge uptick in people wearing either Jazz shorts, old Stockton jerseys. I've seen the City jerseys being worn around like crazy. I really feel like the attention is back on Utah, so uh, it's it's really fun to see it too. And I hope that that is a big player in making the case for Rudy Gobert being the defensive player of the year because the dude deserves it wholeheartedly. Yeah, that is the thing. When you do break it down, when you look you look at the film, you look at the whatever stats are available. Like I said when I opened this conversation, he is the best defensive player. In the league, it's not a question, it's not a debate, it's a fact. I stole that empirical from the empirical phrase from uh, Quinn Snyder, who, when he was asked mm-hmm. about him being the defensive player of the year, he said it's an empirical fact. So it's just a matter of do the NBA writers actually get it right? Do they actually understand who the best defensive player of the year is? And I'm not so sure because, again, I, I see people around, it, it's hard to find serious conversations about non-MVP awards. Usually they're just articles, you know, here's how the MVP race is going. They don't have those same articles about the defensive player of the year, except in, like, the middle of the year. And Rigo Bear wasn't in the conversation in the middle of the year because he was injured or, like, injured mm-hmm. for 
around that time or had just come back. So I'm hoping that some of that attention, like you said, that's being shed on Utah, mostly because we've forced it upon them or the Jazz have forced it upon them, winning so many games in a row and climbing into the playoff picture. But you just hope that Gobert gets the credit he deserves. Um, oh, absolutely. And- the Jazz would not be in the position they are in right now if it was not for Rudy's impact. There's no way. Yeah, and, and it goes beyond defense. It goes to scoring as well, and that's a whole other uh, Pandora's box. We won't get into that today, uh, his offense. But uh, speaking of deserving credit, there's another man who deserves a lot of credit, and I think that's Quinn Snyder. And this is the third piece of hard that we'd like to get, but this is the least likely of the three because while some people – well, when you hear analysts talk about Quinn Snyder, they never have a bad thing to say about him. They always say, well, he's a good coach. You know, they'll, they'll talk about how he's a good coach, and they'll give him his props. But once in a blue moon, when we have a national televised game, they'll do that. It's so like five times a year, basically. Yeah. But what he's managed to do in this team, and again, Rudy Gobert, his play has been a huge part in that. It's not like Quinn Snyder has, you know, turned this team into something out of completely nothing. He does have one of the top centers in the like arguably the best center in the NBA and one of the top 15 players, an argument can be made for top 10 player, but he hasn't done this with nothing, but he turned a team that was like 19 and 28 into the fifth seed of the playoffs in the Western Conference. The Jazz have played one of the hardest schedules in the NBA. I think it's like top five in terms of strength of schedule. And... It's been going down, but mostly because they've finally actually come to a stretch of games where they're playing some easy teams. But even then, he's gotten this team to play extraordinary defense. He's got them to overachieve on offense. And it's just absolutely incredible the job he's done. I think he at least least needs to be in the conversation. And I'm not super connected about the great coaches, but are there any other names that you can think of that – would win coach of the year. I mean, we kind of talked about this last week, but like who else is out there? Um, obviously the two favorites are going to go to the two best teams in both conferences. And that's going to be the Houston Rockets and the Toronto Raptors. That's not to say that these coaches are not making a very strong case as to why they should be the front runners for coach of the year. When you have the best record in both conferences, that's just the way it works. However, Quinn Snyder has a team that has had so many different things happen. Um, you know, Dante Exum went out in the preseason, so we lost a prolific defender and quick guard. Um, the 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 progress of Ricky Rubio. I mean, it was all. With, and when all is said and done at the end of this season, um, Ricky Rubio is having a career year. Um, you look at his patience just with the overall development of not just Donovan Mitchell, but this team as a whole following the fallout of Gordon Hayward. Um, you have Derek Favors being the most mature I've ever seen him, um, not just because of um, what he's been doing in the absence of Rudy Gobert and with Rudy Gobert coming back, just the way that, you know, he zoned out everything with the trade rumors. 
Um, I mean, the list goes on. And the bottom line is, is Quinn Snyder has the best patience um, I've ever seen in a coach because it's always he always treats whether it's a win, a blowout win. Uh, he always finds something for them to work on. He's always prepared for these games, whether or not the Jazz win them or not. He's always prepared. His staff is always prepared. There's a camaraderie between he and his staff and the team. I mean, this uprise this last two months has just been insane. I mean, I I can't remember what the article was. I wish I had it pulled up off the top of my head, but someone had compared um, the best uh, after All-Star records, and the Jazz are making the best run at post all-star with uh, with the record they had in nba history and that's not possible without a strong leadership in quinn snyder yeah he does deserve just so much credit for i mean all the reasons you you talked about his system his offensive system he's managed to get everyone to buy into it you know ricky struggled early on um you know jay crowder coming into here and he, he struggled shooting the ball but he's also scored double digits in every game except two, I think. And in Cleveland, he had, I don't know, 20-something, 20, 20 or 30-something in the 50 games he played. So, you know, one like three out of every five games he played, he might have double digits. And he's averaging like 14, 15 points with the Jazz. So just getting players in and getting that system going and – drawing out the potential of this team, quite frankly. You know, yeah. w- without Quinn Snyder, this team, I think, would very much be a lottery team, even with the talent that it does have. It does have Rudy Gobert. It has a, a great rookie. But I just think that y- you look at the pieces, and the the whole is definitely greater than the sum of the parts with this team. When you look at these players, half of them are castaways, and we've made a dominant team. This has arguably been the best team in the NBA since the All All Star break. The only right. rival to that statement would be the Raptors, who have been on a, a similar run in terms of wins and losses. But this team has been absolutely yeah. completely dominant. Totally. I mean, okay. if if you know, if say Dwayne Casey and um, Mike D'Antoni get it, I mean. It comes back to that thing. You see it on paper. Obviously, the the two coaches with the two best records are going to be the front runners for the award. It all comes back to what's on paper. I don't think that that is a really great way to gauge anybody. I don't care if it's for coach of the year, MVP, rookie of the year, defensive player of the year, most improved player. I feel like that's the most improved player feels like the only one that you can look at the paper sheet and be like, well, compared to how he did last year, he really improved. You know, I think that's the only one that you can really gauge that off of the, the what's on the paper sheet. You know, this coach of the year thing. I mean, it's, 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 it's how these coaches prepare their teams. It's how they get them to play for them. It's how they get them to believe in the system and believe in each other. And you look at Quinn Snyder and his team compared to other teams. I mean, obviously we don't get a good window into how they interact with one another, but Quinn is constantly letting players like Rudy 
Joe, uh, Rubio, and even Mitchell be the ones to kind of be like, hey, I'm seeing this. And you see that back and forth talk, whereas you got Popovich and those guys, they're always just like, okay, this is how we're doing it. You're going to go do it. Go do it. I don't really ever see that from Quinn Snyder. It's more of him just being like, you know, egging them on, getting them to be the ones that come up with the answers and letting them go for it. Yeah, and there's there's so many different things to Quinn Snyder that uh, I mean we we could talk about because he has done a really good job, and I've been a little critical of him because I think heading into the season I was really worried about his offensive system. I didn't think we'd get it to work, and especially about halfway into the season, I was like, this offense ain't working, Quinn. Like, at what point are we going to speed it up and kind of join the rest of the league? And maybe that's something that we'll eventually have to do in the future. I, I'm not going to just drop that point just because we've had a really good stretch here, but I think he has managed to make it work. And he's managed to make it work with a bunch of, like I said, kind of a bunch of scraps in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, no disrespect, obviously, to the players. I love all of them. But they don't have the same talent that D'Antoni does with Chris Paul and James Harden or uh, even in Toronto with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan and all that. So Snyder has definitely done about as much as these other coaches with less. But anyway, that's, that, that's about going to wrap it up there. There's so many things that we could have talked about. I mean, there's three or four different topics that I could have talked about uh, that we, that we could have brought up. Both of us could have brought up, but there's only so many minutes and hours in a day, so we're going to have to leave those for the coming episodes. But thank you again so much for washing, wa- washing, 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 washing. It's not even watching. I, I was going to say watching, <laughs> and I not only is that the wrong word, I screwed it up. Like, whatever. Okay, thanks for listening. Um, again, my name is Jason Walker, joined by Trey Sanders, and we'll talk to you next week.